Welcome to Fucking Cancelled, a podcast about what the left is like, what to do about it, and what it'll be like once we've done it. In today's episode, we discuss step two, coming to believe in a power greater than ourselves and being restored to sanity. So welcome back to fucking cancel. Welcome back to fucking cancel. Guys, it's so hot. It is hot. And you know, I often don't notice that it's hot. I can't realize that it's hot. Oh yeah, you were telling me this the other day. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just sort of like, why am I so sticky? Like I couldn't understand what was happening. Then I realized this is heat. It's extremely weirdly unnaturally hot. Yeah. Right now. So we're very sticky. Our hair is very frizzy. (laughs) We're struggling to stay hydrated. Yeah. And today we're going to talk about God. Yeah, we're here to talk about step two. Um, (laughs) But yeah, before we get into the topic, we have some housekeeping. Um, Yeah, so we did the live that we talked about last time. So thanks for everybody who came out. Yeah, it was cool. Um, Basically, we occasionally do lives um, for patrons. Um... And live is a live video. Yeah, live is a live video where we answer questions. Um, and people actually had like some cool questions, so it was a good experience. Yeah. And the recording of it is like um, permanently available on Patreon. So if you weren't able to make it, but you're interested in what we were saying, you can check it out. Um, there's like I think we've done two of them now, or three, three of them. Three. We yeah. did three of them. So there's all the recordings are on Patreon. Yeah. Um, and just generally, we wanted to plug our, our Patreon and, and thank patrons for helping to support the podcast. Yeah. Um, we post writing. Um, oh, yeah, I posted a new piece of writing just recently. True, true. I got something I've been working on that I'm going to put up soon, too. Yeah. So check it out um, if you are interested in some extra fucking canceled content. Yeah, hell yeah. Um, also, I have recently taken one for the team and spent a lot of time on Instagram. <laughs> Um, working on the fucking cancelled Instagram account. Yeah. So now we have an Instagram account. Um, I'm slowly getting it like up to date. Yeah, um, we procrastinated on it for a really long time. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, it's gonna be cool. You know, we have little samples from all the episodes and um, cute behind the scenes puppy pics. Yeah, lots of puppy pics and also just like posting stories, uh, just reposting like cool shit from like people we know and our friends and. Yeah, so check um, that out because yeah, it's basically going to be the fucking cancelled sort of like online. Home. Yeah, we're gonna do like uh, announcements and stuff on there too at at a certain point once it's all kind of like set up. Yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah, so like I said, today we're gonna be talking about higher power um, because this is our second um, step episode. So Mm -hmm. we're gonna be like, yeah, we're gonna be doing episodes about the 12 steps because we're into the 12 steps. Um, And yeah, so today is about step two. Before we start, we do want to give our kind of usual disclaimer that we don't speak on behalf of any 12-step group or 12-step fellowship, um, and that everything we're saying now is just our own thoughts on on this stuff, and like, yeah. Yeah. It's just two alcoholics talking shit. <laughs> just, just talking about alcoholism and the 12 steps. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so, I mean, that being said, let's dive into it. All right, so, step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Definitely a doozy. <laughs> um, a lot of people are just like, wow, fuck that, when they get to this step. Lots of people are not, though. Um, I think me and Clementine have very different experiences yeah, with this stuff. That's true. Initially. Um, but it is, it's a hard one to swallow, I think, for a lot of people right off the bat, because it's sort of like, yeah, it's, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And, like, there's a lot in there right off the bat where you're sort of like, well, I don't want to believe in shit. And also, who are you tell me that I'm not sane? And, you know. Yeah. And I mean, I think also part of it is that, you know, in a, if you were brought up in a largely secular context, you know, and like the 12 steps are kind of weird in that way because it's a spiritual program yeah. and not a lot of things are offering a spiritual solution these days, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think for a lot of people, it's weird because they're like, why are you telling me to like find God or to like have a spiritual experience? Mm-hmm. It seems very kind of like, a, well, I think for a lot of people anyways, it seems kind of like, um, archaic or or something you know kind of like outmoded and and like uh yeah but in many ways it's one of the most important steps um and i think that it does offer a lot of uh guidance for people do you want to like before we get into like unpacking it do you want to talk about our own experiences with it because i kind of feel like that makes sense like our our experiences kind of like approaching this yeah yeah for sure i mean I definitely came into the 12 steps as an atheist. I still identify as an atheist, but my atheism has changed like really dramatically, I would say, over the past bunch of years that I've been uh, in the program. Um, And for me, when I first encountered this step, I guess, yeah, I I had a really hard time with it. I was basically like, I'm skipping this one. Um, you know, it's just a hilarious <laughs> thing to do. <laughs> you like notice a pattern coming up in the later steps. You're like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and I spent a lot of time, like subsequently, sort of like trying to figure out ways to make it vibe with my atheism. Um, I would say first in ways that were pretty like unfruitful. Okay. Um, and were ways that were like basically just me frantically trying to like not have to believe in anything right um and then later in ways that started to feel a lot more fruitful for me um in ways that I still think about this step today as an atheist and that means you know for me just kind of trying to figure out what a higher power even means um trying to think about what sanity could mean for me and I mean this is all stuff that we're going to get into you know when we get into yeah. steps. but yeah I, I feel like my relationship to this step has changed like a ton yeah how about you I mean, yeah, hilariously, like, I really had no problem with it at all, and, like, I'm actually grateful, because I know a lot of people struggle when they come into 12-step programs um, for lots of reasons, and it's funny, because I am, like, a very stubborn person, so you would think that, like, maybe I would be stubborn about it, but I really, really wasn't, like, I was a very spiritual child, and I had a very, like, developed spiritual life as a child, and I had lost that. Um, I had basically replaced that with drinking. And so I was actually like really excited about what the 12 steps were offering me. I was really excited about like this opportunity to, um, reconnect with this thing that I had lost. And I was also really stoked on this idea because, I mean, we're going to talk more about it later, but like, you know, we 
my life was like a very, I grew up in a very secular context, you know? I wasn't raised with religion at all. I didn't have like a spiritual community of any kind, Mm -hmm. you know? I did not have anything in my life encouraging me to be spiritual. Like the spirituality that I found as a kid was something that like I just like came to and that I needed and that I discovered myself, you know? Right. Um, But like, so it was cool to me to be in a space full of like, adults who were like taking their spirituality really seriously and who didn't all believe in the same things, but who were there collectively to like think through their ideas about spirituality and to like develop their spiritual lives. I really found that to be really cool. And so like, yeah, for me, like, um, it was actually, it was actually like, I don't know that it was like necessarily easy because like I still had like some blocks and things that I needed to work through in terms of reconnecting to that spirituality but I was excited about it like it wasn't something that I was like mad about or something right that's super interesting because I was raised a catholic and when I was a young kid a pretty strict catholic and um yeah like religion for me and and spirituality and like the idea of god was always a very unsatisfying thing, um, something that felt like a chore, that felt punitive. Right. Um, that, that makes sense. That inspired no awe or wonder. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I guess, like, it's funny because we kind of went in opposite directions with that. And I think that's pretty normal because I think, obviously, people who have baggage from, like, past, like, religious experiences that were, like, unwanted and that were, like, not, that didn't feel good, like, of course, that would be, that would bring those feelings up. For sure. Yeah. And, like, my spirituality was, like, very much about nature. Um, And it was something that I, like, completely entered into, like, willingly Mm -hmm. on my own, you know? Yeah. And I think that making that choice is, like, a really uh, crucial factor, you know? Mm -hmm. That's different from just being, like, raised in something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. So, as for the step, I mean, I think that there's, like... The, the main kind of, like, thrust of this step is, like, one, things can change, right? And two, is that you don't have to be the one to fix it. Right. Um, which is, like, kind of an interesting, like, like cheat or something, you know, to, to get people into it. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that actually, though, I mean, it's more of, like, a step three, like, when you actually hand your will and your life over kind of dilemma. But, like... I actually think that that can be a really big block to people. Like, for some people, it might be, like, cool, because they're like, oh, fuck, I don't have to do it. Nice, you know? Mm -hmm. But for other people, like, the idea of giving up that that rigid control is actually, like, super daunting, you know? Yes, absolutely. Um, So, yeah, it's this idea that, like, you know, I mean, when your life is totally fucked up and you're, like, on a hamster wheel of, like, insanity, um... Where, like, one fucked up thing after another just keeps happening to you. Um, Or, like, for some people, you know, their bottom is just, like, they sit alone in their basement and drink by themselves. You know? For other people, it's, like, they are, you know, escaping out of hospital rooms and things like this. (laughs) Right. But, but like, either way, like, it fucking sucks. And there's, like, this sense, like, I think most people, by the time that they've come into the program... They've tried things. Like, they've tried lots of different things to make their lives somewhat better, and nothing has worked, right? Yeah. And so, like, the idea of coming to believe that something could work is, like, a huge paradigm shift. And it's actually, like, a very vulnerable thing because it's, it's um, 
kind of scary to have hope and to have to believe that something could be different, you know? It's like putting your heart on the line. Yeah, um, for sure. And then the piece that, like, it's not going to be you, that, like, you don't have to, like, come up with this, like, super crazy master plan to, like, figure out every single problem and that, like, through sheer force of will, like, you're going to, like, make this change. Because I think also, like, a lot of people, by the time that they've come in, like, they've really seen how much their will and how much wanting something really badly and trying really hard wasn't enough. Yeah. And this is like the weird paradoxical magic of the 12 steps, this whole concept that it's like, it's, uh, it's like there is discipline and there is hard work, but it is very much about surrender. Yeah. Um, so I guess like, let's break down the components of the steps. So usually like when it's, this is really funny that we're doing this on this podcast. We're going to obviously tie it into the, uh, <laughs> We're going to tie it into the themes of the podcast later in the episode, but first we just want to break down the step, yeah. like, so that listeners who aren't in 12-step programs can, like, really understand the concepts and what we're saying. Yeah. Um, but it's really funny because it's kind of like we're, like, because it's, like, in 12-step programs, you usually work with a sponsor. Yeah. And so, like, the sponsor walks you through and, like, explains all of this, and so we're just, like, weirdly doing that to, like, all of you. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're 12-stepping the message. Yeah. Um, but, but it's just because we think that these steps are, like, really useful, important ways of thinking about the world, and, like, we think that lots of people can benefit from them. Yeah, know? exactly. It's, yeah. like, a recurring theme on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, continue. So, yeah. So, basically, like, usually a sponsor will really, like, break down the step. Like, because the step is, like, I mean, it's a sentence, you know? Obviously, in the literature, like, it's unpacked a lot more, and you'll, like, read the literature with your sponsor usually. But even just the sentence itself, um, like the sponsor will talk you through it and, like, break it down into its components, right? Yeah. So the step is came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And so there's basically three components to this sentence. Yeah. Yeah, three main components. Yeah, and the first one is coming to believe. Yeah. Right? Um, and so there's a couple of things about that. First of all, it implies a process, Right? It's not that you have to immediately believe right now. Yeah. It's that the step says we came to believe, you know? So it's like, and the steps are... Well, technically the we is implied because um, it's weird. In the steps, we is only in the first step. And then the rest of them don't have we at the beginning. But the, the pronoun our is in the sentence. So it obviously still is we. But the way that it's written, it actually doesn't say... I'm sorry. <laughs> You're such a fucking nerd. <laughs> begins with came to believe. Clement, I can like cite page numbers <laughs> of the big book. I'm um, sorry, I'm sorry. But yeah, the pronoun used is the... It's um, the plural. It's the first person plural. Yes. Um, and yeah, so it, it's, we came to believe and it is um, presented as a suggestion, right? So it's like, if you want what we have, like this is a step that you can take and yeah. this is what we did. So we came to believe. So it's like, yeah, the implication is that you can, if you wish, try to come to believe um, that a power greater than you, yourself can restore you to sanity. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I said, it implies a process. Um, and I don't know, I think that this is kind of like in the next section or the next like uh, component of it, but I think it, it relates to this. It's that a power greater than yourself like could restore you to sanity. So you don't even have to start to believe that it is going to restore you to sanity. It's really just like kind of like opening up your mind to the idea that it, it, it is even possible. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I think this this component of the step is really just about sort of, like, 
opening yourself up to the idea that things can change, right? Yeah, totally. Um, and so then the next component is the idea of a higher power or a power greater than ourselves. Um, and it doesn't in this step. Um, so in the steps, they they sometimes say, like in this, it says power greater than ourselves. In other steps, they use the word God. Um, but there was like a whole thing in the writing of the literature and in early days of AA back in the day, Mm -hmm. um, where there was this really strong emphasis on God as, as we understood him is what it says. Um, and so what that means, and it's like very emphasized in the program and it's important is that this higher power that, that you're coming to believe could restore you to sanity is a higher power of your own understanding, right? right? And it's actually pretty cool in a way because, like, 12-step programs are full of people, even though, like, I'm not going to deny the fact that it's, like, heavily Christian-inflected. Like, for sure, the literature is very – comes out of Christian roots. It's heavily, like, inflected by Christianity. But there's still this, like, caveat that's given that is, like, it's your own understanding, you know? And they talk about it in the big book. They're, like, you – you know, if you don't like someone's conception of God, just try another one. You know, yeah. it's like up yeah. to you and you really can come up with for yourself like what that means to you. So that's like a really important part of the the higher power concept because it's not um it's not like a Christian God. For some for lots of people it is for sure. Yeah. Um but it's funny because like for me, like I definitely do not vibe like with a Christian God. It doesn't have to be a Christian God. It doesn't even really have to be God. No, like, it hasn't, doesn't have to be a God um, either. Because, yeah, like atheists are accepted and also, like it even says in the book, like, yeah, like, well, they, they alternate back and forth between like higher power and God, you know? Yeah. Um, and they make it really clear that like when they say God, like basically you can substitute in like your conception of a higher power yeah. or a power greater than yourself, which I think is fucking great. I think it was an extremely good move mm-hmm. um, on their part because, I mean, for lots of reasons, but, like, one of them is just that, like, they, they knew that telling addicts and alcoholics what to do is a really good way to get them to not do that. Of course. So they're, like, yeah, they're basically, like, you can figure out for yourself what a higher power is for you that's going to work, but you do need to at some point accept that there is anything in the world that is greater than you. Yeah, you know? and, like... It means that it can it has the potential of, of working for more people, right? Because you're not trying to give them this like pre-decided version that they have to like believe in. You're just offering up the idea that they could believe in something. Yeah. And so yeah, like um for me, like I'm not an atheist. Um and I, you know, my my spiritual beliefs take a number of different forms, but like the idea of a, like a literal, like kind of like supernatural power greater than myself was something that I was like into when I came in. Um, it's something that like I have had different feelings about over the years, but it's something that like was like not hard for me. But I know for other people it is, and there's a lot of discussion about like what a higher power is or could be. Like people talk about that a lot in meetings, um, and so. Yeah, like, some people say, like, a higher power is, like, they use, like, just the idea that there's, like, thousands of people who have recovered from what they are trying to recover from. That's their higher power. Like, the fact that that 
that has happened because it's a group of people that have demonstrated a power that they have not been able to demonstrate themselves. Yeah. You know? So some people will say that God stands for G-O-D, which is a group of drunks. Yeah. Which is pretty cute. Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, other people have like, a lot of people have like kind of like spiritual, like nature based kind of things. Obviously there's people in various different religions. Yeah. Um, and people make jokes about it too. Sometimes jokes that are like, not even really a joke where they'll be like my higher power was like my chair yeah um because i just had to fucking pick something because it's really the believing that is the important part and then i never really i never really got this stuff very much like it doesn't make a lot of sense to me but people do say this yeah they do and um my my sponsor who i really should um contact um (laughs) she told me like hilariously that um that like her original version of her higher power was was Axel Rose, and I was like, I don't even know if that's like allowed. Like, it's not supposed to be another human being, but it's like really, really funny. Right. Um, but it's like the spiritual Axel. It's just Rose, like it's like, just like the essence of Axel Rose, right. which like honestly I can get down with that. I can oh, get yeah, down with you're that. A yeah, I'm a gunner. Um, okay, so yeah, and so it's this idea that there is something, anything that is bigger and greater than you. Um, and I think people kind of like have trouble with that too in imagining it in this really like hierarchical sense, Mm. you know, that there's like this weird power dynamic. Um, but like the way that I see it and have always seen it is it's like a higher vantage point. Like I always pictured it that way. For sure. Um, when I'm imagining a higher power or power greater than myself, like I am imagining like almost like a multidimensional like thing yeah where you know um this is like a weird segue but like i i think i've told you about the book flatland Mm -hmm. and so basically in flatland it's like it's like a book that's like a thought experiment to like help people think through the ideas of higher dimensions and there's like these like two-dimensional creatures that live on a flat land um and basically like a higher dimensional like sphere like passes through and to them, it, like, looks like lines that are, like, in various different lengths as the sphere is moving through the, the plane of the flatland. Right. And so, like, basically, like, if you were in three dimensions, you're, like, you are, you can be above. You could also be, like, below, but, like, you can be above it because there's this whole other direction in which you can move, right? Yeah. And when you're above looking down at everything like that, like, you can see things. Like, you can see everything in the whole flatland neighborhood mm-hmm. that, like, this little circle over here and that little square over there can't see because they can only see what's in front of them, Right. right. And so, like, that's how I would imagine it for myself is that, like, a higher power is just, like, something that is, like, at a greater, like, level of existence that is sort of, like, looking at things in more of a, in more of a totality, yeah. you know? And, yeah. like, I have sponsored a bunch of atheists in my day, um, so I'm always trying to think about ways to, like, translate this. I mean, there's a thing, like, even in the book that's just sort of, like, let's, I can't even remember, like really what it how it goes but it's, it's something about like road rage and it's basically like just imagine you're like in a car oh, yeah. and you're like slamming on the horn and you're yeah, like yeah. really angry and then it's like okay so that's that's your mood you're really angry for no fucking reason because somebody cut you off or whatever what you should do is try to imagine the vantage point of like let's say god but you know you could think of like a bird or something right. like that right and it's just like something way higher than you it's silent it's like floating through the clouds or whatever and it's looking down on you but you're only one Right. Little monkey in like a sea of like millions of monkeys, like all doing their monkey things. And when you do that, you're like, okay, so my problem of being cut off is now contextualized. Right. And it seems way smaller, right? Totally. So that's like definitely one way that I've like helped 
myself to like come yeah. to terms with this. Kind and of also, thing. I think you could take that. Um, you could take that like metaphor further. And, yes. And be like, you know, um, not only could like a higher power sort of like see above and see like all the cars and like the larger context and the fact that you're just like one person in this large sea of everything that's going on, but it might also be able to like get inside the mind of like the person who cut you off. Yes. Right. And so understand that like the person who cut you off is also like freaking out because they're like running late for some important thing or like whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Um, and so like we're all in our own little bubbles, um, and having our own emotional dramas and our own like really serious things that are happening in our lives. But like taking a higher vantage point allows you to like have empathy and to like consider that it's not just what's going on in your bubble that matters, but that what's happening in everybody's bubble matters. Right. So it right there, like just that sort of like willingness to accept that higher vantage point as like a valid sort of like way of thinking about things can um, expand your mind. Yeah. <laughs> and, but like literally like expand your, your, your capacity to understand like what's going on around you. you yeah, know what I mean? absolutely. Um, and make you more of a balanced person. Yeah. yeah. And so then I guess that leads into the third, um, the third component of the step, which is sanity. So the step says restore us to sanity. And it's funny. A lot of people also get really upset about this part. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really interesting to me. I mean, everyone can think what they want, of course. Um, everyone has the right to their own ideas about this. But I've never been offended by these sorts of things, like sanity, insanity. I always use the word crazy, like, yeah. ever since I have liberated myself from the Nexus. Like, I actually, even when I was in the Nexus, like, I... Yeah, you were, you were like... You that were, was the one thing that I would not let people scold me on. Yeah, you would die on that Because hill. I was like, you can't tell me that I can't say crazy because I literally am a crazy person. For sure. And also, they would be like, well, you... People would literally say this to me where they would be like, you can say crazy about yourself. And, like, I'm not going to call, like, someone, some actual individual person, like, you're fucking crazy. It's, like, it's rude, you know? But, like... Um, unless I'm being like a total bitch, but like it's a rude thing to do. You yeah, know? we can agree that it's rude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but like, um, but like in terms of talking about like phenomena, like or like that was such a crazy situation. Yeah, people were like, you can't say that because it's like ableist. Right. And I was like, yes, I can. <laughs> I know a thing or two about crazy situations. Yeah, you know, exactly. <laughs> anyway, that was a total segue. But yeah. the point of it is, is that people can have a lot of feelings about the word sanity and insanity. And so I think people um, do you understand that. Can you say something about that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that, well, whatever. A lot of people are like, I'm not insane. Like, I'm not, I don't hear voices. I'm not, uh, you know, like, I'm not... I'm trapped in like a delusional world. Like I'm, I just have like a problem. I have like a drinking problem. You yeah. Know, or also, is insanity. or also like from like people would also be like people who hear voices or whatever are not insane. I mean, I guess some people, yeah. Like some people who are deep into sort of like yeah disability stuff might say that, but even them, I mean, I think that a lot of people would, I mean, cause people also are trying to like reclaim words like that. Anyways. Um, I don't know. But the point is, though, that, um, well, there's a lot of points, but, like, one of them is that, um, like, it's it's important to bear in mind that this was written, like, a hundred years ago, too, you know? Yeah, it's crazy um, that it's coming up on that. Yeah, so I'm just sort of, like, whatever, like, whatever old-timey language they use, like, you just have to fucking, like, figure out what it means for you, you know? Um, and, yeah, so in this case, like, often when your sponsor goes through this step with you, they'll encourage you to be, like, what 
like what did insanity look like for you and what does sanity look like for you? Yeah, and I mean there is a definition of insanity that is given in the literature and what they say the definition of insanity is is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Right. That is how they define insanity. And so, I don't know, like again, like people can feel what they want to feel if if people find the word offensive, like that's that's their own prerogative, but like to me I'm like they've literally defined what they mean by it, you know, which is doing the same thing over and over again. And expecting different results. And, like, that is, yeah, how they define it. Yeah, and whatever. If you, yeah, like, if if somebody doesn't like the word, like, they can just kind of fill in, like, other words, like, dysfunction or, like, compulsion. Exactly. And people do that a lot with the steps, yeah. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, and then, I don't know, like, insanity can look like a lot of different things. I mean, one of them is what you just said. But, yeah, you know, like, when you look back at your life and you're sort of like, wow, like there was a period when I was really trapped in like a certain kind of like cycle or whatever, like, you know, you can really think about what that is. And then when you start doing that, you can also start to think about what would it look like if I had my sort of like ideal of balance and stuff, like my, if, if I was restored to sanity, like how would that look, you know? Yeah. Um, and that can be a really interesting thought experiment because that can also help you it, it can it can shine a light on things that you're, you know, currently doing that that you don't like, you know what I mean? Because they don't vibe with what you're listing as like, what, what would be the sort of like ideal balanced version of you? Um, which can be a, an interesting way to sort of like think about ways that you want to grow and, and things to be hopeful about as you like move forward. Right. Yeah. And I mean, there's a, there's like a analogy that they give. It's like a very famous part of the big book um, where they're talking about, you know, um, oh, is it the jaywalker? The jaywalker. Yeah, so basically, like, they're, us- they're using this analogy to talk about people who have seen that again and again, every time they drink, like, the same horrible, awful things keep happening, but they just keep hoping that it's going to be different next time, and they just keep doing it, right? Yeah. And so, like, the jaywalker is, like, this, like, like analogy where they're, like, imagine there was, like, a guy with a queer idea of fun who, um, <laughs> yeah. who, who likes to just, like, step out into traffic, you know? And, like, you know, like, a couple times he gets away with it, nothing really happens, but then he keeps, like, stepping out in front of moving cars and, like, you know, he breaks his leg, he breaks his back, like, whatever. Um, They use that to illustrate this idea of insanity, like, where it's, like, clearly this isn't a good idea, clearly this has never worked out for you. Right. Why do you keep doing it? Right. Um, And so the idea is that, like, a higher power and a relationship to a higher power could free you from that cycle, like... And, and open you up to looking at things differently or open up a different dimension of experience so that you're not stuck um, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and so with the steps, there's often these kind of, like, principles that get attached to them. I don't really think they're, like, official. Like, I don't know if they're even in the book exactly. Um, there is, like, a bunch of, like, um, sort of, like, AA-approved, um, it's not in the big book, but I've seen these lists that, like, apply a principle to each step. Okay. Yeah. I have, too. I've also seen ones that have, like, different principles attached, yeah. and I'm like, where the fuck does this come from? Yeah. I've seen also sometimes, like, rehabs and stuff will have their own kind of, like, lists and their own interpretation of the stuff. Anyways, um, point being, um, there's two principles that we find apply particularly well to this Yeah, step. that we're pulling out. Um, and the first one is hope. And it's really just that, like, central to this step is the cultivation of hope and the uh, the willingness to stop fighting hope, really, you know? 
um, which is, I know, kind of an interesting way to put it, yeah. but I, I do feel like, um, at least when I think about myself and my own experiences, like one thing that really sucked about the place I was in when I was drinking and using was that like, I had kind of crushed hope out of myself because I had tried so many times and so many different ways to kind of like moderate or keep things under control or stop getting into so much trouble or, or like keep myself uh, safe in certain ways and like whatever. And I just like couldn't like my fucking kept stepping into traffic and getting right. my back broken, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so I like kind of stopped myself from feeling hope about the idea that I could ever get better from this really. And I was really like resigned, you know, yeah. which is, you know, not everybody gets that place. Definitely a lot of people are still kind of like holding out, um, the idea that they can like moderate or something when they get into the rooms. Yeah. I had given up on that completely. I was also resigned. Yeah. I was just like, I'm an alcoholic. That's just how it is for me. You yeah. Know? Um, but the hope that I could be restored was really groundbreaking for me. And I kind of want to like revise my earlier thing I said about like when I first approached the step, cause actually that, that, that kind of like hope um, was something that I could get behind right. initially. Just least. not the higher power part. The higher power part, I really... You were like, with. I want to be restored to sanity, but just, like, not this way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, I'm probably going to have to do this, let's be real. Yeah. Not God. <laughs> 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 but I was I was hopeful, yeah. Um. Yeah, totally. And I think it's a really powerful thing because like when you're stuck in the same kind of bullshit constantly 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 and you don't believe that there's any way I also think that it's like you know by the time that people end up in the rooms for a lot of people it's like the problems are just like problems upon problems upon problems you know it's like not just the drinking but it's like you know people have like legal bullshit or they just have like massive trauma or they have like they're they're in poverty and like all the stuff that goes with drinking yeah, and, and with like, the trauma that often causes drinking yeah, yeah and that is compounded by drinking and it's like or using drugs or whatever it is um and so like by the time they you know the idea that things could change it just it's so overwhelming because it's like how the fuck am i supposed to change all of this you know everybody yeah. hates me like i don't even know how i'm going to do this and so, like, the idea that, like, you could have hope and that you could come to believe that that is possible, that things could change profoundly, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like, really profoundly, mm-hmm. um, that was really um, compelling for me, you mm-hmm. know, when I came in. Because I really did not understand how the fuck that was going to happen. Right. You know? Yo, same. I was like, I don't see how that's going to happen. Yeah. I was and, like, that seems unlikely. Yeah. But, and yet. But, and yet, like, what I was seeing was that there was other people who I believed them when they told me what had happened to them and what their lives had been like because it, you can't make that shit up. Yeah. You know? Totally. I knew that they were telling me the truth and I knew that the things that they were saying were they had been in experiences that were similar to the experiences that I was in. Well, not just the experiences, but they're also literally just describing my feelings. Yeah. Perfectly. Exactly. You know, like they're inside my own head. Exactly. And so therefore I was like, okay, if people this fucked can get well, and like that's the thing, some of them were well. Some of them had been sober for years and years. You know, they had like these full lives. They were happy. Like they had things for themselves that like I would never have imagined for myself, you know? And so I was like, you know what? I have no fucking idea how this works. Yeah. But that was enough for me to, like, to have hope and to, like, come to believe, you Totally. Know? Me too. I was like, even if everything about this is bullshit, 
some of these people sincerely seem happy and I'm so desperate to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. So it was worth a shot, you know? Um, and then the other, the other principle that we wanted to pull out here is open-mindedness. Yeah. And I don't know. I do think that this step is really about cultivating open-mindedness, open-mindedness as well. It's like opening yourself up to possibilities. Um, the whole thing about trying to fucking, um, come to believe in a, in a power greater than yourself and that it will restore your sanity is like for a lot of people requires like a huge amount of open-mindedness, you know? Yeah. But in the book, you know, um, they, they talk about this a bunch, like at length because lots of people are atheists or, or not even just atheists, but like, I would say like anti-spiritual when they come in, you know? Right. Um, and those people, yeah, like they need, they need a lot of convincing, let's say, um, not necessarily to believe in God, but to be open-minded. Yeah. And it's really just like, okay, like you, you, you think you know everything. Yeah. <laughs> Look at your life. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. There's an appendix in the back of the book that usually, um, called like varieties of spiritual experience. And mm-hmm. like usually sponsors will get you to flip back there and read it, but there's a quote and it's like something like, um, like if there's if there's one bar against I'm not quoting this exactly, but like against spiritual growth or something like that, it's contempt prior to investigation. Right. Um, which is like a very um important concept. This idea of contempt prior to investigation. This idea that we could just close ourselves off to something and decide that it's bullshit and it and it won't work and it doesn't mean anything or it's stupid before ever really investigating right and so like um yeah that's stressed over and over again in the literature that like this coming to believe in a power greater than yourself it's a practice of like opening your mind to the possibility of something yeah for sure like for me i had to really think about the fact that like okay so I really like to think, I, I really like to know things, you know, and I actually know a lot of things. I know a lot of facts. I know how a lot of things work. Uh, you know, I spend a lot of time reading Wikipedia yeah. um, and I know lots of things, you know, and I like to think that I know things. Also, I have to be aware that I know basically nothing. Compared to all the things that compared are to know. Compared to all the things that there are to know. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and so, you know, I really have to be open-minded yeah. about, about things, you know? And I can't pretend, like, I have all the answers because I have fucking very, very good Exactly, right? yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And open-mindedness has been, like, so good for me and it's such a good thing to cultivate, you know? Um, it makes me way happier yeah <laughs> to just like allow myself to be open-minded and and to be curious yeah exactly you know? and curiosity is one of the like principles of the pod you know yeah because absolutely we're very into open-mindedness and just yeah. trying to be like okay like i don't know like i'm i'm happy to investigate then you know yeah exactly and even if you have like firmly held convictions like it's a great idea to still keep an open mind and like see what else you might learn and like you know i i do have firmly held convictions but and this is actually like very obviously true about me that like when I am presented with information that contradicts what I believe, I am willing to change my beliefs, you know? Um, yeah, if it holds up. If it holds up and if it is like compelling, like, and I have profoundly, like, because I have, you know, been presented with information that I was like, wow, this actually profoundly changes the way that I am, that I'm looking at things and that I'm able to change. And like, I think that that is, that's dynamic and that's like what it means to be alive like we aren't supposed to be stuck and stagnant and just like insisting on something even when you know everything around us is changing and we're being made aware of things that we weren't made aware of before and things like that yeah totally so do you feel like that covers 
the general step? I believe so. All right, so now, like, to get more onto the topic of what we usually talk about on this podcast, for people who are, like, tuning in for the first time, they're like, what the fuck podcast is this? <laughs> you know? They're like, well, this is about the left. Why are you guys talking about... Okay. Um, but anyway, so the... We want to talk about the steps in these episodes. We want to talk about the steps in relationship to the process of leaving the nexus. Mm-hmm. And so... If, by chance, this literally is your first time listening to this podcast, the nexus is just a word that we use um, to refer to the combination of uh, cancel culture, identitarianism, and social media, and the sort of emergent um, worldview and culture that comes out of those components. Yeah, Um, when they're interacting with each other. Yeah, and people use language like social justice culture, or sometimes they call it woke like woke world world stuff like that yeah but this we're just using the word nexus um and so we want to talk about the steps in terms of like how they could be useful for people in the practice of exiting the exiting the nexus and like moving away from that and changing so the first one um so we want to just talk about the components of the steps in this context. So the first component of the step that we were already talking about in the larger context of like regular 12 step stuff is mm-hmm. coming to believe. Um, and so, yeah, we were just talking about like the idea of like open mindedness and curiosity and like um, being willing to like see things a different way or to like be open to the possibility of something being different than what we originally thought or that things don't have to be the way that, that we've been understanding them to be. I feel like this is like super the opposite mindset of the nexus. Yeah. Um, where you are really taught and expected not to have an open mind, not to tolerate viewpoints that contradict whatever it is that is being said inside the nexus. Yeah. Um, and I think that people go through a process um, when they start to question it, when they start to question what's happening um, in their social world, you know, or they start to realize that they're, like, agreeing with things that they don't agree with because they're afraid, um, or they're sort of reciting things that don't make sense to them. Mm -hmm. They go through a process um, that is actually, like, it's, like, coming to question, almost, um, where they start to basically have like little seeds of doubt being planted and they're starting to be like actually that doesn't make sense or like and they like allow themselves a little private moment of of questioning right Right, right, right. um and i think through that process it's like opening up a little crack a little window a tiny bit to the possibility that there could be another worldview out there and i think a lot of people you know um when they first start this process which is part of the reason why we do this podcast is because i think a lot of people when they start to question it and they start to come to believe that like there could be something else out there besides the nexus for them yeah they immediately have a mental breakdown and think they might be right wing yeah because they're like as far as they know (laughs) like it's basically like the right or like the nexus, yeah. And that because that's the way the nexus positions it. So right. it's like they don't think. So the right positions it too far. Yeah, and I'm like, you guys, there's a whole other thing happening here. But yeah. anyway, like 
And so people are afraid, you know, to step away from everything that they've known, and they're afraid that they, that's it's going to mean, like, becoming right-wing or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so, like, that's why it is so important to have um, overtly leftist critiques of the nexus. Um, but, yeah, do you want to say anything more about that, about the coming to believe part? Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, it's... It's an interesting process to start leaving the nexus and then be faced with that. Well, I say interesting. It's a horrible process to be faced with like the the fear that outside the nexus and outside the right, you're just floating in space like by yourself, you know? Yeah. Um, it's kind of horrifying, especially if you're like a person who is like, you know, as people who are into the nexus usually are, somebody who's very like invested in politics as your like identity. You yeah. Know? Um, and and you can feel that being kind of like ripped away from you. And and I think that it is really analogous to analogous analogous. I don't know. Analogous. I would say guh, but that's just me. Analogous to um to realizing that you might have a drinking problem <laughs> and, and being like, but if I stop drinking, I'm going to be alone. Yeah. You and know? I think it's important, like, you know, cause whatever people who hate us accuse us of being right wing. And it's really insulting because it's like the right wing would never accept us because of who we are, you know? And so many, um, you know, when there was like some canceler conspiracy theory going out recently that was accusing a group of Instagrammers of being, um, you know, alt-right, they were, like, literally, like, a group of, like, people of color, trans people, queer people, a Jewish person, like, you know, and it's, like, completely, like, absurd and, like, very insulting to call a group of people who the alt-right actively... They want to exterminate. Yeah, like, dehumanizes and, like, says, you know, awful, violent things about, like, calling those people the alt-right because they critique the nexus. It's very, it's very, it's very fucked up. But anyway, like, the, the... The point I'm trying to make is just that, like, yeah, for a lot of people, you know, it's not just that, like, they they personally really fucking think that the that the right is like fucked or whatever. But it's also like that that's not even a place that they could land if they wanted to. Yeah, you know, like totally. they are dehumanized by that. So yeah. it's like a lot of people end up in the nexus because they are marginalized because they do experience like you know, dehumanization. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they want obviously, um a space that honors their humanity, um, but that isn't this um, frightening dynamic that they're experiencing inside the nexus. For sure. And basically, like, we want to encourage people to cultivate that hope and, you know, come to believe that outside the nexus, there is something, you know? Yeah. And that, like, the behaviors that you have been engaging in or that you may have been engaging in um, when you were part of the nexus that maybe you now are starting to find like really reprehensible or just, you just don't want to be doing anymore yeah. because they feel crazy, um, that you don't have to do those anymore and that there's like a way out. Yeah. And it's, it is very like analogous, analogous, interesting. <laughs> <Who the fuck laughs> <knows>? <laughs> um, it is because a similar thing happens like with, with getting sober because you know, even if where you are sucks, at least you're somewhere, you mm-hmm. know, like the idea of going somewhere else where you don't know what it's going to be is really terrifying. Yeah, it's right? scary, for and sure. like people are always like, I'll lose everything I have. And like, they say that and like what they have is like really fucked up, right? you know, <laughs> like yeah. it's really, really <laughs> fucked up, you yeah. know? And they're like, Oh my God, but I'll lose everything. And yeah. it's like, 
okay. But like, it's still, it is really scary because it's like, that's, you know, it's what they have. And the idea that there could be something better or there could be something more has been something that has been too scary to even, you know, imagine. Because if you start to imagine that, it also makes where you're at all that much more intolerable, right? For sure. Because you now know that it's not your only option. For sure. So. Which brings us to the higher power component. And it's like, yeah, we want to stress very strongly that we are not your higher power. (laughs) And we do not want at all for you to think of us or anything we say as as anything like that. Or any specific, like, ideology or. Yeah, and indeed, like, kind of the whole point of this, like, this spiritual um, mode of, of thinking about things is to kind of like remove yourself from the realm of these kind of like little human nitty gritty ideas, you know, and kind of like try to get into this other, this other perspective, you know? And it's like, in the case of the nexus, I mean, I think that like, you could even just think about this kind of like bird's eye view thing that we were talking about before, just like pull back, you know, just pull way back and then pull back even further, you know, and, and just think about, you know, I don't know, you, you, like nature is a really good one. Nature yeah. is a really good way to contextualize things, I find, you know, because it's sort of like you're, let's say I, I like to say I, I am like on Instagram, like scrolling and I'm, I'm very stressed out about something that some person is saying about some other thing, you know, yeah. um, and I'm, I'm having like a full body like response and na 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 but like right outside my window, yeah. right, there's like an infinite array of life going on yeah you know like literally just coding every surface of everything in the world there's like life and then if you get down to you can like look at like ecosystems and the way they interact and stuff and just like the sheer amount of like complexity and information and beauty that is going on and all of those things and ugliness because it's all one yeah (laughs) um, to get kind of like woo about it um really contextualizes everything right and and really can can help you feel can help me feel um like the thing that i was worried about is just like this very meaningless like vibration in like yeah. a, in like wow. a sea of other it's vibrations so you know? right now no but i mean a literal vibration <laughs> like words traveling through air are like okay. a vibration you know uh-huh. um or like a message being transmitted along a wire i mean i right. guess it's not necessarily a vibration but it's like an electromagnetic like okay no i think it is a vibration even i don't really understand how I mean, wires it's all vibrations <laughs> <laughs> um. like yeah um, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes that a total a, sense. a bit of a rant. No, though. it totally makes sense. And, like, yeah, and so, I mean... But we could talk about some other conceptions of higher powers, too, like, in, in relation to this, right? Yeah, I think, I think an important part of this, like, you know, connecting it to leaving the nexus, is that the person scolding you on the internet is not your higher power. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um... That person has actually elevated themselves to this position right. where they get to decide to condemn you. Right. You know? Right. And, like, who are they um, to judge you? I have no idea why, but right now I'm <laughs> – I, I, like, want to quote, like, a Miley Cyrus song, which is, like, a Just very absurd it. thing to do, do right it. now. But, like, there's, like, a line in the Miley Cyrus song that's, like um, – like, um, only God can judge you. Forget the haters because somebody loves you. <laughs> and um, <laughs> anyway, but like basically like that's true. Like the, like from a spiritual worldview, when you if you have a spiritual worldview, the idea is that you are 
aligning your actions and your integrity and your principles like through that spiritual worldview right yeah yeah. and so you're you have this worldview you have this higher power you have this understanding of things that you're like committed to and you're doing your best to act in alignment with that and so when somebody comes out of the woodwork to to shame you and to scold you and to tell you that you're wrong and you're bad I mean first of all you can as you know an independent you know, autonomous human being with your own integrity, you can actually question their behavior. You can ask yourself if their behavior is in alignment with your principles. Right. Like, do you think that shaming and scolding people is appropriate? Right. Right? Like, first of all, you can ask that. Even before you ask yourself, like, whether or not the the criticism is, is valid or not, right? Like, you can actually take issue with the way that they're talking to you. Mm-hmm. Cause it's not in alignment with the way that you believe that you should talk to people, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and then the other step is like, um, you know, if you're going to like unpack the, the criticism that, that they're leveraging at you, you know, you get to decide, you get to like align that with like your own worldview and like, you know, your spiritual, ethical, like political framework, and you get to decide if your actions were out of alignment with your integrity or not, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, that person is not actually in a position to condemn you. They're actually, they are claiming that position, but that is not rightfully theirs, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think that that is a really important part of this in the context of the nexus. Um, and then, like, what it actually is for people, I mean, it can be so varied. Um, like... Obviously, yeah, like nature is like a huge part of my spirituality and many of my spiritual experiences have happened through the context of nature. Um, There's like, um, I think that there's ways of thinking about like your higher self or like your best, the best version of you or whatever, Yep. which is one that a lot of atheists like. Um, There's also like the idea of like the collective and I think that you could even kind of like have a socialist spirituality where you're like is this for like the highest good of like the collective like people you know like what we're trying to move towards like yeah um, i like to think about the the collaborative principle that like exists in nature yeah um and how that's like built into the universe like yeah you know and that's just like a really at least for me that's like a really compelling thing i think the the best version of yourself thing can be really awesome too is just yeah. like a way to sort of like step back a second and be like is this the behavior that I want to be engaging in yeah. you know um and also there's the this is kind of like a, a bit of a concept but it for me anyways like as an atheist it really helps me with the god thing um just the concept of surrender and like the emotional space that it can bring me to is also really really good for this kind of thing where I'm just sort of like okay like let's say like yeah like somebody's like squawking at you on the internet or something yeah. you can surrender not to them yeah exactly <laughs> but you surrender to like your uh, your powerlessness over them um, and just like to the universe and, and just be like, okay. Yeah. And I think that the sort of like step two piece of that is that, you know, you're not alone in that surrender, right? Like when you are saying I'm, I'm powerless over this shit, like I can't, I can't fucking handle it. I can't fix it. Like there's another way, like there's another path that is not about fixing it. And it's, like, through your relationship to this this greater perspective, this higher plane, that's how you see the other path, right? And, and it's through, like, surrender, and it's also through this, like, collaborative, like, curiosity, like, based approach where you're, like, 
reaching out to something, something greater than you, that then greater than the situation to see another way. Um, yeah. And I think like the, the important part of, well, I, I keep saying the important part, but like all of it's important, but yeah. like something important about this is that all this stuff we're talking about, about the higher power is, is that like, these are really like spiritual concepts, yeah. you know, and spirituality is like a fuzzy word that has like, it's kind of hard to define and stuff. But like, just in this case, I think that like, these are not just, um, intellectual yeah. tools, they're spiritual tools. Yes. And what that means, like I said, a bit hard to define, but it's at least for me, it's like, um, they tap into something really like emotional. Yeah. Um, exactly. they, and they tap into something that really, um, touches on your sense of like meaning making. Yes. Um, and, and your sense that there's something deeper to the world than what is immediately visible. Exactly. Um, and that doesn't even have to be like that woo, you know, like you can have like a totally, totally scientific yeah. worldview, which I think that I do. Yeah. Um, and still recognize that there are like, the world is like vastly more complex than, than just what I can see with my little eyes in yeah. front of me. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that I know that it's, I know that all, already that it's deeper than what I can see. Yeah. So it's not that hard for me to tap into like the awe yeah. of, um, of that spiritual kind of like worldview. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And also like it can be woo, like if you want it to be, you yes, know, and exactly. like you can have like a more explicitly like, I guess, supernatural kind of spirituality. Um, and a lot of people find connection through things like, like myth or archetype, or, like, stories um, that are, like, spiritual stories that that help to, like, shape or make sense of, like, human experiences, um, and that has been, like, a spiritual tool through many different, um, obviously, I mean, like, all cultures through all time, um, yeah. and I guess, like, I kind of, um, I kind of want to segue into this part, because basically, like, if we're going to talk about this idea of finding a higher power or like discovering your spirituality in the context of the nexus. Mm -hmm. Like one thing that I kind of wanted to talk about in this, um, in this episode. And I'm actually like, I feel like even though I'm like extremely mask off on this podcast at this point, I, I feel like this is like a vulnerable thing for me to talk about. Yeah. But basically like for me, I actually found that the nexus was incredibly hostile towards me developing a spirituality, you know? And I think it's, it actually actively blocks people from spiritual exploration because the, the question basically in the nexus, um, that you have to, every single thing that you do and every single thing that you think, um, you have to like hold it up to the test of, I mean, it used to be, is this problematic? And now I think people would say like, is this oppressive maybe? Um, but basically every single thing that you do, you have to, you have to, make it past the nexus test first, right? Yeah, yeah. And, like, spirituality is, like, most human things, complex, you messy. know? Messy. Messy, complex, like, not not something that can easily pass such a test, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's also the, pro- the process of developing a spirituality is about searching. It's about curiosity. It's about having an open mind. Um, and so... Can I interject with something really quickly? Yeah. It reminds me of what you were saying the other day about... Um, how, like, authors are being canceled these days for having, like, a character who does something problematic. Yeah. Like, not even, not even the author themselves doing it, but, totally. like, a character. And it's, like, in in any kind of spiritual worldview, there are going to be characters who are people right. who, who do problematic things, right? And, they're, and they're, they're part of the spiritual worldview. They have to be, right? Right. And I think that that's almost something that the Nexus, like, doesn't like about, about spiritualities. But anyways, this is just a weird takeaway. Please continue. Um, 
Yeah, and so basically for myself, like what what happened is like I went from being this like real sketchy drunk, you know, coming into twelve step program, getting sober, discovering spirituality, getting healthy, and like you know having this whole beautiful worldview open up to me. And like, okay, so I said earlier that I wasn't raised with religion, which is true. However. There is, like, a a bit of a weird spiritual thing that I was raised with, which is that my mother is kind of, like, a second-wave feminist, um, and she taught me about, like, the goddess, you know? Um, And so, you know, there's this sort of, like, um, there's this sort of second-wave feminist goddess worldview that, like, it has its issues, right? Because it can strip the sort of, like, cultural differences between goddess figures in across time and space and like reduce them to like whatever like some some universal figure which is which is inaccurate right because obviously these figures were doing specific things in specific cultures at specific times right however like the figure of the goddess means a lot to a lot of people Mm -hmm. you know um and like literally always has and literally always has obviously in different ways um across time and space um, but in contemporary times, it does too. And I think that this, like, this questing for the divine feminine um, is is genuine, you know? People are hungering for that, and they're seeking it. And sure, they might not be, like, perfect historians who are, like, doing this in always a perfect way, and they might be, like, missing complexity or, like, whatever as they're doing it. But, like, also, it's, like, a genuine yearning that they have, you know? It's a spiritual quest that they are on. And so, like, for me, because I, I, I grew up knowing about the goddess, um, I, I naturally, like, went there when I got sober. Like, my first conception of a higher power was a goddess, you right. know? Yeah. And I really, at the time, I started, like, I kind of, like, got, like, really into, like, Jungian psychology and was, like, reading a lot of, like, archetype like like mythology that was like looking at archetypes and like pulling out the the way that in different cultures across time like myths were used to explore like aspects of the human psyche basically mm-hmm. um and i and then there's like young psychologists who are like pulling that out into contemporary times and like looking at the ways that these old myths are like um important to people today right anyway so like one of the goddesses who like meant a lot to me was Ishtar, and she is, like, a Mesopotamian goddess, right? And I loved the story of Ishtar's descent to the underworld. Like, basically, like, she goes down into the underworld, she passes seven gates, she enters into the underworld totally naked, she's killed, she's put on a hook, and then she rises from the dead, you know? And to me, like, like a Christian god in the sky does nothing for me. But this fucking speaks to me you know it speaks to me so much and it is about like stripping away everything to like get to the heart of it and then like rising like renewed which is like also so relevant to like the experience of like getting sober and like fucking losing everything that you were and like surrendering and then like giving everything up and then coming back again like so whatever it meant a lot to me and and like I was you know someone who was like in such a fucked up time in my life and I was gaining so much from this myth But then as I entered into the nexus, I started to become paranoid because I was like, wait a second, Mesopotamia, that's like Iraq? Like, that's like, yeah, yeah, like I'm not not allowed to do this. What if an ancient Babylonian gets mad at you? (laughs) Right. Like, I was like, this is like cultural appropriation, right? And like, I saw the cultural appropriation, um, you know, nexus 
wars happening constantly. Like it was a very regular cancellation yeah. topic, right? Yeah. Um, and so I like preemptively was like, I'm not allowed to have a relationship with this mythology, right. you know? Right. Um, and then later as I like, you know, got, you know, older and healthier and like started to question these things, I actually like came to this realization that like actually like Mesopotamia and the mythology of Mesopotamia is actually like the the heart and the beginning of what we call Western civilization. Um, and in fact, the mythologies, like the the Greeks, for example, which which I learned about in school, and that which were obviously I'm not Greek, but like which were obviously like very formative to like my worldview because I was taught so much of that stuff. Yeah, I was taught way more of that stuff than I was ever taught about Irish stuff, and Irish is my ancestry. Yeah. Um, that comes out of Mesopotamia. Yeah, they're fucking Mediterranean yeah. all the way down there in the Mediterranean. Yeah, and so anyway, like, <laughs> and so all that to say, like, really, like, what is my lineage? Is it just the lineage of my ancestry or is it also, like, this larger lineage of, like, whatever, like, the stuff that I learned that was passed on in a particular tradition? Yeah. Anyway, that's, like, a long rant. <laughs> but all of that is to say that, like, I actually found the nexus to be, like, openly hostile towards my attempts to discover spirituality, you know? And there's this assumption that if I was relating to spiritual ideas that come out of a culture that is different from my own, even if it was, like, as old as Mesopotamia, um, that that is immediately this, like, dehumanizing, like, appropriative process instead of something that could be coming from a genuine place, a respectful place, a collaborative place, you know? And, like, just, like, on this topic, the other thing that I wanted to mention was, like, yoga, So, like, I have complex PTSD. You know, in early sobriety, I was, like, getting free therapy wherever I could and was trying to, like, get my complex PTSD as much under control as I could. And one of the things that was, like, recommended to me over and over again was yoga. People were, like, yoga is an incredible treatment for complex PTSD. It is, um, like, a mind-body practice, and it's something that could really help you. Mm -hmm. And I refused to do it. Because I thought it was cultural appropriation and that it would be, like, violent of me to do yoga, you know? Mm -hmm. And when I think about that, when I think about a sick person, like, who's, like, physically unwell, refusing um, to take part in something that is going to help them, and them taking part in that, like, respectfully is literally not hurting anyone. Yeah. Being framed as, like, violence. Right. It's like, it's wild, you know? It is. Um, and so, yeah. And of course, like, I know that, like, spiritual practices can be commodified. Um, all of that stuff is true. But again, like, nuance. Like, we can do these things in respectful ways. Like, I truly believe that we can engage with, like, spiritual knowledges that don't come from our own ancestral lineage in ways that are not commodifying or dehumanizing or disrespectful or appropriative, you know? Yeah, so, absolutely. But I think, like, all of that tangent was just to, to bring up the fact that I think for a lot of people, the sort of, like, spiritual questing or, like, asking themselves, like, what what kinds of spiritual practices mean something to them or, like, what is their spiritual worldview? Like, in order to figure that out, you know, unless you were handed a worldview that works for you, you have to go on a quest of, like, searching out what might work for you, right? So you have to, like, look at what different spiritual people are saying, and then eventually something's going to resonate, and, like, you're going to be like, maybe that's what works for me. But, like, if you are so terrified of doing that because it's, like, potentially extremely problematic because you're only allowed to look at specifically your own ancestral lineage, Mm -hmm. like, that's that's stressful, right? (laughs) 
Um, so I think that that is a way in which the nexus like blocks people from from doing that spiritual questing. Yeah. Yeah, like the nexus is really hostile to spirituality in a bunch of ways. I think another way that it's hostile to spirituality is that it well, it's related to what you were saying actually, is that it like really likes to categorize things and put things in little boxes and then like separate people from those boxes, you know? Um, which is a very I don't know how to put it, like a very like human, very like rules based, very kind of like petty, I don't know, way of looking at the world, you know? Right. Which is sort of like in a lot of ways, it's like incompatible with a spirituality that is like expansive and kind of like universal and, right. and sees the world as this like vast sort of like mysterious yeah. thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, yeah, not to go on about this for too long, but it's like, I do think that universalism matters here because like, I think that doing anything right is a balance between specificity and universalism, yeah. right? Like like I was saying, you know, you can't reduce a goddess figure from any time and place to the exact same thing, right? Right. Like, that doesn't make sense because there was different historical things happening and obviously, like, different cultural contexts. And so, like, what that goddess figure meant in that context, like, there's a whole issue where they're like, it's a fertility figure. It's a fertility figure. Every single time the, the figurine has, like, hips. Yeah. You know? And it's like, it's not a fertility figure. Like, sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. You know? Like, there's, yeah. di- there's different things going on. But it's also, like, you're not trying to join, like, the fucking, like, ancient cult of, like, whatever goddess. You know what I mean? Like, you are um, a like, late modern, like, alienated fucking, like, person living in, like, a fucking settler colony in North America, like, thousands of miles from the bones of your ancestors kind of shit, you know what I mean? And, like, you're trying to make some sense of the world, you know? Yeah. And and so we need to be, like, looking around for, like, ways to do that. Yeah, but, like, as I was saying, like, I think that there is, I think specificity still does matter. Like, I do think not everyone's going to want to be, like, a researcher and find out, like, all the specifics of, like, whatever. But it's it's interesting and it is important, you know? Yeah. Like, you're going to get more out of it the more that you understand about it, right? Right, right. And you're going to get more out of something if you if you actually understand, you know, some of the context behind it. And, of course, like, it's, like, long time ago history. So, like, you're not going to know specifically what it meant to people. You're yeah. going to know people's best guests, yeah. right? Yeah. But, like, it, it's going to be a richer thing if you actually understand what the fuck was going on in that culture at that time and in that place and, like, what, you know, what was this symbol doing for people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, whatever, like, um, like, it brings to mind, like, the Sheelanagig, which is, like, an Irish thing, but, like, like, people try to say that it's a fertility figure because, like, the Sheelanagig is holding open her vulva, but, like, she looks all withered and she's bald, so it's kind of like, is she old? Like, I don't know what's going on there exactly, but, like, it definitely seems more complicated than a fertility figure, right? <laughs> yes, I agree. And so, like, but, like, there's people who would just sort of dismiss it as that without asking any further questions, and so... Yeah. Anyway, though, like, the point I was trying to get at with this, like, specificity and universalism thing is that with the sort of, um, like, yes, there's, like, cultural and historical and geographic specificities. There is also human experiences that are universal. Yes, and that crop up over and over again throughout time and space. Yes, and so, like, humans go through things. Like, they, they, they grapple with the reality of death. You know, they, they see loved ones die. They have to, like, struggle for their needs. You know, like, they have sex. They fall in love. They have children. Like, obviously, the forms that that takes varies, like, culturally. Yeah. But, like, there's, like, intimate bonds. There's, like, we all have nervous systems, you know? Like, there's specific things that are, in fact, universal, you know? Um, And, like, they are shaped by the context and the specificity, but they still are universal. And I sometimes think this, like, you know, this, like, 
need to like carve out the specificities and the differences can sometimes gloss over like this human sameness sameness and like that is why myths because myths are about human struggles mm-hmm. can be resonate with people across huge distances of time and space right like For sure there's this uh, famous phrase um in anthropology that was like one of the first ways that like uh, a western anti-racism was articulated and it's just um the phrase is about the the psychic unity of mankind um, which is just that, like, all human beings share a, 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 a psychological makeup. Yeah. Um, and therefore, that there's going to be things about our experience of life that are that are going to overlap. Yeah, right? and so even if you're not, like, yeah, I'm not in ancient Mesopotamia, but, like, there are things about that myth. Obviously, there's elements of it that are lost to me, right, that I'm not going to understand from the context in which it was written. But there's also aspects of it that are, like, extremely human um, and that do resonate across time and space. For sure. So, so that's been a really lengthy aside, but we're still just a signpost where we're at. We're still trying to apply the um, the main concepts of step two to uh, the nexus and, and, leaving the and, nexus. and leaving the nexus specifically. So yeah, like the third the third concept out of the three um, is sanity. We were just on the higher power for a long time, um, but yeah, now we're now we're back to sanity. Um, and you know, when we're thinking about sanity in the concept of, in the in the context of the nexus, it's like. One way to think about it is just sort of like, is your life getting like bigger or smaller? Yeah. You know, like when you're when you're in the nexus and you're engaging in these behaviors and you're sort of like finding yourself really, um, I don't know. I, there's lots of things that people do, like self censoring, uh, forcing themselves to believe or pretend to believe things that they don't really believe. Um, you know, hyper vigilantly scanning their environments for like threat cues from their peers, all this kind of stuff. Like, like abandoning their friends, uh, abandoning their friends over something that they said on the internet, whatever. Um, yeah. Like, is that making your life smaller? I mean, yes. Yeah. Like, almost always, you know, um, one of the things that the Nexus does is it encourages you to, like abandon relationships uh, that you have that are not part of the nexus and to replace those relationships with like nexus ones. Yeah. um, Which makes your life immeasurably smaller in terms of the amount of like uh, conflicting information that you're exposed to or like just like people's different experiences and stuff like that. Yeah. And your ability to like think freely, ask questions, like, you know, read different things, like even like we were just talking about, like, like seek out your own spirituality. Like all of these things are like heavily sort of, cut off or like they're like a rigid structure is imposed upon them by the nexus. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of just like living permanently in fear, you know, yeah. I think that's, that's an experience that, that is definitely common to a lot of people who are exiting the nexus, you know, and they, they talk to us about it and we've talked, we've talked about it on the pod as well. Um, yeah, just this like living in fear, man, it's fucking exhausting. It's so fucking exhausting. Like walking on eggshells, all the time, knowing that, like, you could at any time be sort of, yeah, like, cast out, um, uh, ritually humiliated in public, like, whatever it is, you know? Yeah. Um, this, it's no way to live, right? And and especially when you find yourself sort of, like, actively participating in this, both towards others, but also towards yourself, right? Because that's, like, an especially sort of, like, scary thing with the Nexus is that it, it really gets people to engage in these behaviors towards themselves as yeah. well, you know, this kind of, like, self-policing impulse. Um, yeah, and I think that when you find yourself engaging in these behaviors, man, I really should start saying I, when I found myself, um, engaging in those behaviors or like watching close friends of mine do it. I mean, it just made me feel 
well, it made me feel insane. It made me feel totally crazy. This was not a healthy feeling, <laughs> you know? Um, especially when, yeah, I was having these, like, these seeds of doubt, these private moments, yeah. like Clementine was saying earlier, where I was just sort of, like, allowing myself to, like, think through things a bit. And I always had the quote-unquote problem in the nexus of, like, having a few too many of those moments of doubt, you know, yeah. and, and like allowing yeah. myself to think through it more than like perhaps some, some of my peers. Um, but yeah, like when you, when you are in that little, the little private corner of your own mind being like, wow, like this is fucking weird, man. You know, what am I doing? Yeah. Like, what am I saying? And then it, when you do, you know, if, if you follow that through and you say something, then also your, your world tends to get smaller because you tend to get, in trouble for that, right? For sure. Um, um, either people cutting you out or, like, sometimes you're... Maybe sometimes... Like, some people remove themselves from that situation mm-hmm. if they're a bit, like, um, more willing to stand up for themselves or whatever. But, yeah. Um, yeah, and so, like, to tie this back to the step a little bit, like, I think why this is important is, like, this step isn't saying choose a higher power and let it run your life. The end. It's saying, choose a higher power that will restore you to sanity, right? Like, came to believe that... It's, it, it's even saying, accept that you could choose a higher power, Right, you know? right. Yeah, you're, you're really... You're, that part's important to you. It is important to me. <laughs> yeah. But regardless, it's like... <laughs> it's... Because the point I'm trying to make is that lots of things can be our higher power that are really bad for us. Mm, true. So, for example, drinking. Like... Drinking is a higher power. Like when you're when when the bottle is your higher power, you do anything that it fucking wants. Yes. You know? True. You do anything to get that bottle and you also do anything in the world once you've drank it, you know, because yeah. who knows what you might do, right? And so like that literally is your higher power, like it was for me, and I think that's a common experience. And like that's not the kind of higher power that this step is talking about, because it's a higher power that will restore you to sanity. And so to put it into the 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 language that we were just talking about, it's a higher power that makes your world bigger, not smaller, right? Yeah. And the reason I'm bringing this up here is because I think for a lot of people, they're using the nexus as their higher power. Absolutely. Right? They are surrendering their will and their life over to not the care, but to <laughs> the rigid control of the nexus, of the it's not even an ideology. It's a fundamentalist, like... Mob entity. Yeah, like, I don't even know what to call it, but... And so people are turning over their will in their life, which is step three, but it's basically, like... <laughs> it's, like, the idea is that, you know, you find a higher power, you know, and then you you turn your will in your life over, but it's supposed to be a, a higher power that is good for you. It's supposed to be a higher power that is trustworthy, that has your best interests in mind, that is looking out for you, yeah. you know? Like, that's yeah. why you're turning your will and your life over to it. It's not a scary higher power. It's, yeah. it's a nice higher power. It loves you on some level. Yeah, like, that's the whole point, right? Yeah. And so, you know, if you are turning your will and life over to something that is, like, fucked up or that is, like, hurting you or that is, like, you know putting you in, like, really bad situations or, like, making your life really small, like, that is a sign that that this is not restoring you to sanity, right? Like, mm-hmm. if you are making choices and you are surrendering yourself to something that is ending up leaving you in situations that are, you know, really 
awful, where you feel alone, where you feel disconnected, where you are being like humiliated or where you can't make meaningful connections with people. Like all of this is a sign that, 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 that this is not, it's not working. It's not working. Right. right? And so, yeah. So I think that that's important because I actually do really think that many people use the nexus as a type of higher power. Um, but it is not the kind of higher power that we're talking about because it is making people's lives smaller rather than bigger, you know? And even if, you know, because I think there's some people who would be like, no, I made my life very big because sure, if you are like a Nexus superstar, if you're one of these like kind of like career Nexans who can like, you know, maybe like make a lot of money, you know, or like get a really big career or like a lot of followers from doing this kind of thing, Mm -hmm. it might seem like your life is getting bigger. But look, I've seen it. I have seen a really famous person inside the Nexus who has a lot of, um, like, clout, a lot of respect, a lot of, like, fame inside the Nexus. I saw a cancel attempt happen, and, like, none of this person's supposed friends or colleagues, like, came to have their back, you know? Yep. And so it's like, if that's the case, how how big is your world really? Mm. If the people closest to you do not stand up for you when the mob comes for you, like, how do you trust your friends then, you yep. know? That's true. Um, and, I mean, I stood up for this person, but yeah, I don't know this person, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm not in the nexus. But, <laughs> anyway, so, you know, that's just to say that, like, even if you have, like, a lot of superficial things going for you, the same thing can be said with drugs and alcohol, too, right? Like, some types of drug addicts who like certain kinds of drugs, I think cocaine, um, they can be flashy, right? Like, it seems like they have, like, a real party life yeah for sure right and, and they can know tons and they, of people they know people and, like, and they go places and like it might seem like it's like really fancy on the surface but then underneath that it's like super fucking lonely and yeah at a certain point like for many people in that situation you know they'll end up where their life uh it might be like really big on the outside but really empty on the inside like exactly. so, so to speak you know and i definitely think that that's the case for a lot of people who are stuck in the nexus yeah, yeah. so we also wanted to talk about how all this shit relates to socialism Right, because we don't want to just bitch about the nexus, even though it is one of our favorite things to do. Um, we wanted to relate this stuff to socialism, and I don't know. I think one one thing that me and Clementine have have thought about a lot is how humans have this innate need for spirituality, right? Like, how do we deal with the unknown? How do we deal with things that are painful about the human condition? Things that like socialism could never. Um, could never remedy, you know? And I should say that we owe a little bit of a debt to a podcast called uh, The Red Enlightenment um, when we talk about this because it's influenced some of our thinking about this. Um, But it's also stuff that we've talked about forever, you know? But yeah, like socialism, even if we built the most like perfect socialist system that you could possibly think of, right? Where everyone has everything they need and like it's just really fulfilling and like really well run and whatever, um, people will still die. You know, people will still get sick. Um, people will have irreversible injuries because of accidents. Yeah. Right? Um, people still have to make, like, major life decisions. And people like, will still fall in love and then have their heart broken. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, or, like, you know, make choices, make a really major choice and then regret it. You know? Right. Like, people will have to choose their path and then have all the other paths close off you yeah, know exactly like there's a lot of things about the human condition that just can't be solved by any amount of like 
of, of good management or, or moral government or whatever it is, yeah. you know? Um, and so how do we deal with those things? That's what spirituality does, really. It, it helps us deal with those yeah. things. It helps us make moral decisions. It helps us cope with things that are painful. It helps us think about the unknown, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and we need that. Like, as humans, we need that. I think there's also this other component that I'm going to touch on super quickly, which is that I think, um, and this is based on, like, um, my, my background in anthropology, um, but I think that there is sort of like a a module, so to speak, like in the human brain that is set up for a kind of spiritual experience. And I think that that's why all cultures literally throughout time and space that we know of um, have reported some kind of spiritual experience. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense when you, when you think about a species that has evolved the capacity to ask why, Mm -hmm. you know, like that's very perplexing. Like that's, that's a big question, right? And when you ask why and, like, you're able to, like, imagine into, like, some larger space beyond yourself in a way that, like, other animals don't have the prefrontal cortex to do, yeah. you know, it opens up this this need for that. Like, it opens up a need because you're grappling with things. You're thinking about death, for example. Mm-hmm. You're really thinking about death. You're thinking about, like, what happens if when I die? Does anything happen when I die? Like, yeah. you're, you're aware of your death, totally. you know? Um, and so just that in and of itself, like, produces, I think, this need for what spirituality offers. For sure. And I think that in the case of, you know, um, drinking and using, um, for a lot of people and also in the case of a lot of sort of um, dysfunctional or compulsive behaviors like ones that perhaps you might find in the nexus, but also elsewhere. um, The thing that people are trying to cope with is like this kind of like emptiness, you know, and they they call it a a God shaped hole, (laughs) which is like one way of thinking about it. But it's just like, there's, there's like a need um, that people have and they're trying to fill it in any way they can um, because it feels intolerable, you know? Um, And, you know, drinking to excess might be one way that people might do that. Um, but there's, you know, there's other ways to cope with that. Right. And spirituality is, is one of them, which is why spiritual approaches to addiction are, have been popular. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, all that to say, um, the right, unfortunately has been very good at harnessing this human need for spiritual connection to their political project. Right. Right. Um, there is an alliance on the right. And as, at times it's a very uneasy alliance, but there is an alliance between the, the Christian, uh, you know, ecumen, like the, the group of Christians in the world, um, and the the economic conservative um, tendency, right? And obviously, like, many Christians are not economic conservatives, but there is this alliance between Christianity and the economic right. Um, and that is kind of what we call like conservatism. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and the left has historically been relatively opposed to organized religion. Yeah. Um, with obvious exceptions as well. Yeah. You know, like liberation theology in South America is a really good example. Um, but in general, it's been pretty opposed to organized religion, more open to spirituality, but usually not on any kind of like a systematic level. Right. Right, if we could say that. And so I think that as socialists, it would be a really good idea for us to start thinking about what a socialism could look like that actually addresses people's need 
for yeah. spiritual connection. Yeah, and I think, like, um, you know, we already have, like we said, this sort of, like, human need that just comes from the prefrontal cortexes that we have, you know, where we're able to ask questions and think about things in this really deep way where we make meaning. Um, and so that creates this, like, spiritual need, right? Mm-hmm. But then add capitalism to that. Yes. And it creates an entirely more intense situation where people who are living under capitalism are often extremely, extremely alienated. And we have seen the like slow collapse of like basically all sort of like social institutions that have allowed people to feel connection. And like with that has also gone spirituality for a lot of people. And obviously there's still tons and tons and tons of people in the world who are in some kind of religion or who still have access to like cultural knowledges and spiritualities. But there's also lots of people who don't. And there's like a combination of the general alienation of capitalism in which, you know, people go to work, come home, like live alone or live with like a couple other people, don't have close ties to their neighbors, don't have rituals to to mark the the changing year or to mark important um, milestones in their lives. They don't have, you know, a shared like meaning making language to make sense of all of the crazy things that happen in their lives, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's, like, incredibly painful in general. And then add to that the context of, like, settler colonialism where you have a lot of people who are actually, like, very, very disconnected from their own ancestral cultures, you know? Um, and then nothing replaced it. Yeah, and and... Something that capitalism does that that contributes to alienation that I think is maybe not um, talked about enough is it well it commodifies everything yeah exactly right? and and one element of this is that it turns things that once were authentic into things that are now inauthentic because one of the definitions of authenticity if you ask people what they really like feel is authentic is that it usually they'll reply something along the lines of like it's not bought and sold right something authentic is something that people do not for the profit motive you right. know that's why like if you go i don't know if you go on like a like a a vacation to like Costa Rica or something. That's a bad example. Let's say a vacation to like Thailand. Right. And you um and on the beach there's people doing like a like a some kind of like ritual but they're doing it like for tourists. Right. Right? Like you the the worldwide um right. traveler you're like, "Well, this is not an authentic Thai ritual." Right, you right. know what I mean? Because they're doing it for money, right? right? And on some level you're completely right that that's not that's not authentic, right? Yeah. Um and what we're, you know, under capitalism, we're constantly sort of, like, searching for the authentic. But the authentic has been basically completely, like, expunged from our lives. And so we settle for something that is, um, like, like acceptably um, – an acceptable simulation of the authentic. Yeah. And, and really that's usually what we settle for, right? Yeah. But that entire process of – watching everything important become commodified and thus become inauthentic is a really soul-crushing one. Yeah. And and I think that, like, well, as individuals, we don't necessarily watch that happen. Like, I mean, we might in certain, you know, for certain things. But as you could say, like, as a culture, like, we we have seen this happen where, like, yeah, basically, like, everything that, that was authentic has, has disappeared completely, you know? Um, that's something that capitalism does. And it it's interesting. I, I've often thought about how... Um, countries in the core of the capitalist world, the the imperial countries of of Europe and its colonies, have been 
operating under this model for the longest. And I think that sometimes when people say that like white people don't have culture or whatever, right. they're misdiagnosing something, which is that a lot of people that we call white people, um, but also a lot of people, people who are the descendants of immigrants who are living in like so-called white countries, um, are living in these these cultures that have for hundreds of years been subject to this process of the commodification of everything authentic. Yeah. Um, and that produces a, a form of profound, profound alienation, I think. Um, that is like so, so difficult for people to shake a lot of people anyway, people who are kind of like sensitive to this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess that was also a bit of a tangent. No, but I think that was really, really important. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. Like the nexus tries to deal with these issues by making them entirely identitarian, um, which kind of misses the point. Um, yeah. And they'll be like, well, you're, you know whatever, like, you shouldn't, like, be interested in, like, ancient, let's say, ancient Mesopotamian gods because you're, like, of German extraction, so you right. should be interested in ancient German pantheon yeah. or whatever. And it's like, okay, like, fine, like, the ancient German pantheon, I'm sure, is very interesting or whatever. Yeah. But that doesn't address the the, the gut feeling that everything is totally wrong and nothing is real, you yeah. know? We're living in a fucking pastiche, a fucking simulation of reality, a fucking simulation of a society. Yeah. You know, it can never address that. Totally. And just, like, learning about the fucking German pantheon on the internet so you can, like, um, do some, like, online ritual on Zoom with some fucking, like, other people who are also interested in the German pantheon because they're of German extraction or something is, like, the most alienated fucking thing I can think of when it comes to a spiritual experience, you know? Like, it's it's so cheap and, and shallow and petty, you know? It has nothing to do with with the sublime. Yeah, but okay. I also want to be, like, I want to... <laughs> Sorry, I'm, like, ranting. <laughs> <laughs> Because what I will say, to be a little more generous there, um, because that was, like, really intense, is that the impulse is a good one, okay? The impulse is a good one. Yes, that's true. The impulse to seek out meaning, to try to find, you know, whether you're looking into, like, the German pantheon or whatever it is, like, to try to find some kind of meaning, to try to find some kind of ritual, to try to reconnect with some kind of spirituality... That is a genuine one. Yes. You know? And that, I do think, is sacred. It is important and does matter. And, yes, the forms that it often takes, unfortunately, because of capitalism, are extremely fucking alienated and awful. Um, but the the impulse is still there. And the impulse, I think, is pure and is important, you know? And so... I would want to encourage people to still follow that impulse. For sure. It's people trying desperately to Even like, if it feel ends something up real. on some Zoom thing or whatever. It's like, it's, I think it's better that you're doing that than just trying to totally shut down the need, you know? Agreed. And so... I apologize to the Zoom Germans. <laughs> yeah, or like the Zoom witches or whoever is on yeah. Zoom doing whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I hope you accept my apology. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, yeah, we want something more than that. We want something real. And like, we want... Um, I also think, I mean, this is also, we're kind of going on tangents, but like we, we've had conversations about this actually like a long time ago, um, about how, you know, we live in, in, um, in cultures now, at least here and in a lot of places where people have different ancestries and where people have different, um, like we, we, we have a shared alienated culture here but we actually have different ancestries. We come from different cultures, right? Yeah. And so the idea that that to try to create a shared um, a community of spirituality 
is going to be something different. And I actually think this is somewhere where the 12-step model is interesting because the 12-step model encourages that kind of pluralistic approach True, absolutely. where you can come together um, on shared principles, but your actual conceptions are different, yeah. right? Yeah. Because the idea that, like, you know, you were saying, like, oh, if you're German, you should only talk to other Germans about spirituality or whatever. Right. And the, when we reduce it to this identitarian frame, you know, um, it really prevents us from having a collective vision of what spirituality could mean. Because it means we have to divide up into groups based on either our ancestry or if we're in an organized religion, I guess based on the organized religion mm-hmm. um, or like something like that, right? Yeah. Like it doesn't actually allow for people to have pluralistic spiritual community in which the specificities of that spiritual you know, worldview might be really different, right? Mm-hmm. Some might be like, you know, spiritual atheists who don't believe in a literal, you know, deity. deity. Others might be like very seriously like pantheistic or something and like coming out of like a culture where they they really do believe in these like literal beings or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's no reason why those people could not actually share a spiritual space together. And I actually think that if we want to create meaningful spiritual community for today, where we do live in multicultural communities and communities where people are coming with different lineages and like different, um, you know, they're bringing different things to the table, then we're really going to have to accept that. Like we actually have to be able to work together across difference, which shouldn't be a controversial take. I honestly wish that it wasn't, but, but like the nexus has this very, opposite impulse that is very like categorizing and separating right where it's seen as like really um like fucked up to want to mix shit together and like i know that there are ways that you can mix shit together that is disrespectful yeah um that sort of strips things from its context and from its meaning and also like further commodifies it Mm -hmm. but there's also like really respectful ways of doing it there's like cultural exchange and like community where people bring different pieces of things and share them together you know totally it's also like yo at least in north america it's like we're here now we're all here now together everybody from the fucking entire planet is here now yeah. in north america yeah. you know what i mean and like we have to fucking live together yeah right and and what would it be like to have um to have a society i was gonna say a government but you know i'm kind of still an anarchist but who the fuck knows what i am anymore yeah. but like to have like a, a society that that isn't just this kind of like tepid multiculturalism yeah. where we're just kind of like there are there are important things from every community yeah. but that is like a has like a muscular spirituality where we're like you know the, a socialism that says there is there is something to live for there is something to fight for yes. you know there is something to fucking feel and we're going to feel it together yeah. you know yes. <laughs> um and and the world is a fucking temple yeah you know and and we fucking live in it and yeah. that's a beautiful thing you know and we're going to protect it yeah like we we are going to teach our children the names of every single fucking plant that lives where they live you yeah. know so that they can be part of i mean like god's kingdom is one way to put that, right? Yeah. But like that you can think of it in so many other ways. Like it's 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 part of the fucking temple that they were born into, yeah. right? The whole the whole world is a cathedral. The wild world itself is holy. The wild world itself is holy. Um and I don't know, I wish that we had a socialism that really embraced that, that wasn't afraid of that and that and that that actually had the the guts to sort of like start to offer people a spiritual solution to some of their problems that that isn't just like um telling them to just pray and hope or whatever but yeah. that is like telling them that that I, well it's funny because 
prayer and hope are actually very important. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but telling them that there's something to hope for, you know, yeah. to break out of this. I and mean, we've said this before on the pod, but to break out of this idea that we're at the end of history. We're not at the end of history. Yeah. We're not at the end of history. There is something that we're moving towards. You know, we're not just at the end of the fucking tunnel, like waiting to totally. fucking die while capitalism eats everything alive. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the, I do think that the different ways that like, again, it's this like specificity and universalism together, you know, mm-hmm. we're like, we are all on this planet and this planet is fucking dying. So like we actually, that is a universal experience that we all share and that, there's so many things that are universal that we should be able to come together in our humanity and the specificities of the way that we work out our spirituality and like the different images that we use and like the different stories that we use and like the different beliefs that we have, like all of that holds like value and meaning. And we actually are enriched. We are enriched by knowing about the belief systems and knowledges of people who are different from ourselves. Oh, yeah. Jesus fucking Christ, man. And, like, it is a good thing to learn about those things. It's not a bad thing. It's actually a really good thing. And, like, it is 100% possible to do that in a respectful way. Oh, absolutely, man. It drives me fucking crazy to no end that, like, our education system just robs us of the combined knowledge of, like, like literally, like, dozens of other civilizations that they just never fucking teach us about. You know what I mean? And I had the, the great privilege of learning about some of these things as a kid um, because of the schools that I went to. Um, But like, yeah, like, like what the fuck does the average person know about like medieval Indian philosophy? Like literally nothing, Nothing. you know, which is a a tragedy. Like it's actually a tragedy that that we are not exposed to this kind of thing, you know, especially because it actually influenced a lot of European philosophy um, in ways that a lot of people are not even aware of. Yeah. And if like, if we conceptualize spirituality and like collective spirituality in this way where it was like, you know, grappling with like big questions and like trying to find meaning and like trying to also like meet emotional needs around moving through transitions and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Like I can just imagine like, you know, people like doing like study groups where they like read this shit and share it with each other and have conversations and talk about it and then talk about the shared knowledges, you know, and like, how that applies to the situation that we're in now and, like, what can we gain from, like, these different worldviews and, like, how can we use this towards Mm. a situation like climate change, for example. Absolutely, man. And, like, that's the kind of stuff that I want to see happening and that I think would be amazing and obviously the nexus is a huge block to that because everyone would just say that, like, everything about it was, like, violence and oppressive and, like, would just shut down from the beginning. Yeah, for sure. Um, But, yeah, so I think that as leftists we really need to think about the fact that People have spiritual needs and we need to think about how as leftists we can approach spirituality and welcome spirituality into the work that we're doing. Yeah. And we're for sure going to talk about more, talk about this more on the podcast. Yeah. It's like one of the things we care most about, I think. Yeah. And then I just wanted to, um, just touch on this a little bit before we wrap up, which is just that, like we mentioned this before, actually, I think in the last episode, I was like socialism, it's right in the name. Right. And like, I really, one of the things that we want to do on this, on this podcast is like push back against this weird stereotype of the class reductionist, right? And this Mm. idea that like, if you're a socialist, if you have an economic framework, right? If you think that, you know, if you have a materialist economic framework, that you're therefore a class reductionist, that you therefore think that everything is just reduced to economics, right? Yeah. You know, obviously that is not true. And there's many, many people who demonstrate that that is not true. And I would like to offer this podcast as like another example of that not being true. Mm. But like to me, like the socialism that I really want to put forward 
is that like the basic principle of socialism is the idea that people should have their needs met, you know? Um, and capitalism is the idea that people should have to work to have their needs met, you know? And socialism is the idea that like people have a natural desire to actually work and they shouldn't have to work to get their needs met. Like people want to create things. People are like, People enjoy being productive. People enjoy being productive. People enjoy being creative. They like to do those things. They just don't want to work at a shitty job where, like, their humanity is denied and then go home to a place that they can barely afford the rent of. Like, wash, rinse, repeat, you know? Like, that's dehumanizing. But, like, basically, what I'm trying to say is that, like, we want to put forward a model of socialism that obviously, that does, like, um really center and prioritize material needs because it's like, you know what, you're not going to be fucking asking yourself like, you know, these deep questions about like your needs around like whatever your, your spiritual actualization, if you fucking can't afford to eat, you know, like you need a place to sleep, fucking food in your stomach. You need like healthcare, these kinds of things. Right. And if we want if we want to develop human potential to the to the best that it can be and really like allow people to like offer the world everything that they're capable of offering it first and foremost we really have to meet people's needs right and mm-hmm. so like an economic like materialist approach is like fundamental you know but that's literally like that's just that's just like the bottom floor like that's just the foundation and on top of that we really want a socialism that actually tries to meet people's needs in a complete holistic way, right? And so that includes like seeing people as like not just, you know, um, you know, animals that need to like eat and 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 have like shelter. Yeah. But as creatures who do also have these spiritual and emotional and like complex needs, these yeah. intellectual needs, these yeah. like seeking types of needs, you yeah. know? And then so I want a socialism that really like that that honors the wholeness of what humans are and really like tries to meet those needs. And so, like, that includes the stuff that we were talking about in the last episode about, like, having an awareness of people's nervous systems and their emotional needs, right? Yeah. Their attachment needs, their relational needs. But it also is this other stuff um, about people's spiritual needs, about their their longing for meaning and and their, their, their need to, like, connect to something larger than themselves, their need for stories to, like, make sense of the world and to make sense of transition and to, like, grapple with, like, things that are really, really hard to grapple with, right? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I really don't want these things to be seen as separate. They, they shouldn't be, you know, and, and, you know, Marx even talks about it, but yeah, like one of the major like goals of Marxism, like the goal of Marxism is not to bring about communism in, in a certain way. The yeah. goal of Marxism is to help people self, self-actualize. Right. And Marx was like, the thing that is like stopping people from self-actualizing is capitalism. Right. And we need to deal with that problem, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah. And, and I'm also like something else that stops people from self-actualizing is alienation, you yeah. know, which is caused by capitalism. But I mean, alienation could also be caused by like many different things. Yeah. Capitalism doesn't have like a magical monopoly on alienation. Totally. You know what I mean? Um, and since the beginning of time, like spiritual systems have been sort of like working to fill in that gap in a certain way, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, honestly, I think that's more or less, it's more or less it. Yeah. We went off on this one. We did. Um, I do want to say that if we uh, sounded exhausted and like we're having heat stroke <laughs> at any moment, it's because we are <laughs> it's so fucking hot <laughs> and I had yeah. to close all the windows and turn the fan off because 
of noise, you yeah, know? So exactly. we're just like sweltering yeah. in the kitchen. And like my dying. eyelids are sticky and it's like really weird. So anyway, I hope that that was like a good overview of step two in, in all of this. And we took it off in some interesting directions. I didn't know I felt so strongly about the German pantheon. I mean, yeah, you got really, I mean, you felt strongly about Zoom. Um, which, we do, which we do already know. Yeah. Um, anyway, guys, um, thank you so much for being here. Please keep having these conversations, thinking through these things, and we will see you next time. See you next time.